0: This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. I've given that introduction, with some variety, almost 200 times over the last six years or so. Yes, I'm fudging the numbers. I'm counting re-releases, which are essentially reruns. But I want to celebrate a little and express my gratitude. The very fact that this project has survived this long is something to celebrate. This has been an independent project from the very beginning. After we left our last evangelical church on bad terms in 2014, I began bandying the idea for a podcast around with a small group of people, primarily my wife and my friend Stephen, who would be the second guest I ever had on the show. Idea centered around a simple question. Why have we, and so many people we went to Christian school with, left evangelicalism? Things would stay in the brainstorming phase for almost two years. A podcast, though, felt like a more realistic project than a blog. Even in 2014, I figured that no one would want to read 1,500-word entries on leaving evangelicalism. Podcasting was also preferable because it would allow people to tell stories in their own words, in their own voices. The show would follow a simple three-act structure. Where did you come from? What area? What church setting and experience? What caused you to break from evangelicalism? And where are you now? I didn't get around to recording the first episode with my friend Jonathan until 2016. We recorded that episode using a single Blue Yeti mic set between us on a table. I had no knowledge of recording audio or editing, and we riffed on things. I released it to the public and shared about it on Facebook during the week of the Republican National Convention in 2016. To my surprise, it found an audience. Folks I hadn't spoken to since college graduation reached out to tell their stories to me and to share them with the world. Over on Twitter, at the time I had a couple hundred followers. Over the course of a few months, I had met folks like Prissy Stroop, Emily Joy Allison, Kevin Garcia and others who had, in their own way, started to talk about similar topics. All this energy was built off the work that had been done by authors like Rachel Held Evans and Sarah Bessie, David Bazan and Pedro Lyon, Stephanie Drury's fake Driscoll and stuff Christian culture likes accounts, Laura Polk's No Shame movement, podcasters like Pete Holmes and The Liturgists, and many, many more. After Trump's electoral victory— Twitter became an important place to try and counteract the dominant evangelical narratives and explain to a broader audience why white evangelicals would support a candidate like Trump so broadly, as well as to voice our own anger and grief over what had become of the faith that formed us. And to this day, I will still contend that grief is central to the process of leaving white evangelicalism for a broad swath of people. The ex evangelical hashtag became a part of that conversation on Twitter. At one point, it got over 100,000 imp- impressions per day on the site, and it would later jump to other networks, including Instagram and TikTok, where it would balloon even further. The hashtag has over 1.3 billion views on Twitter as of today. In 2017, I began working with Chrissy and others to build a Facebook group to meet an expressed need for private conversations about exangelical-related topics. It grew from 70 to 700 to 3,000 to 11,000 today. It's hard to remember now, but Twitter could be an incredible place to learn and connect with people. Thanks to Twitter, I learned an incredible amount just by listening and following others. I learned to be more specific with my language and say that I was critiquing white evangelicalism in order to distinguish it from other evangelical traditions. I learned about the expansiveness of queer experience and the ways people related to and expressed their gender. I discovered new ways to relate to concepts of faith and how to hold space for both others and myself when those ideas and relationships changed. But it wasn't always smooth sailing. People eventually started calling this the ex-evangelical movement, which was in its way part of the deconstruction movement. It got attention. In 2018, I was part of a documentary on it, and was quoted in a Newsweek cover article. This movement, such as it was, was entirely online and bootstrapped by a handful of people making podcasts or Instagram accounts or some other content. It wasn't funded by donations to focus on the family, or underwritten by a major music label, denomination, or parachurch organization. There was no financial infrastructure to speak of, and the cultural norms were being worked out on the fly. Exvangelical spaces were and are prone to the same pitfalls of other online cultures. Beasts between various groups or people, disagreements turning into flame wars, and so on. But all with the added sting of echoing traumas we felt and experienced in our former church context. I'm not exempt of this. When those things started to happening in exvangelical contexts, it was easy to lambast and to opt out. In 2019, while in the midst of a deep personal offline grief, one of those conflicts broke out on Twitter and included me. My wife asked me to stop so I could be more present with my family, and I did. Putting the show on a hiatus. When your spouse asks you to do something like that, especially when they know how much your work means to you, it is wise to honor that request. Six months or so later... I would start recording and publishing again, but with a more defined relationship to this part of my work. Since then, I've established my own boundaries with social media, and have generally avoided online conflict unless it directly involves me. Even my desire to punch up on places like Twitter has largely waned, and the realities of social media favor conservatives anyway, no matter how much they complain. So there's no sense in losing a fixed game in an arena that just cares about engagement. I view the work of this show as providing people who are early on in their process of questioning their relationship to ev- to, to evangelicalism or reeling from the recent loss of their community by interviewing people who have gone through similar things. I am ultimately interested in how people changed their minds and decided to make such a significant decision to upend their lives. To change your mind is no small thing, especially for something like religious belief, practice, and community that takes up such a big part of life. Other aspects of my work have changed too. I'm less interested in the theological side of things than when I started. It's a part of life that is less accessible to me at the moment though I remain open to that particular fascination being rekindled at some point down the line. Though theology doesn't currently pique my interest, I remain fascinated by how our beliefs shape and justify our actions and the way we treat ourselves and others. I also interview a lot more authors than when I started out, but I love reading and books, and I view this as a natural evolution. In 2020, I started the Post-Evangelical Post newsletter. That same year, I also started interviewing experts on the more systemic issues of white evangelicalism on my other show, Powers and Principalities. The first season covered white evangelicalism and Christian nationalism, and my guests on that season have had their profiles increase many times over in light of the January 6th insurrection and the constant threat and consequences of white Christian nationalism in U.S. politics and society. 2020 was also the year that several creators on TikTok began to build massive followings creating exvangelical content. Abraham Piper, the son of John Piper, had his rapid ascent on the platform covered in the New York Times. In the years since, TikTok has become the de facto center for the most extremely online sector of exvangelicals. The preponderance of people who speak to their own exvangelical experiences, each with their own perspective, is a testament to the state of white evangelicalism and its many harms. In 2021, I helped form the Irreverent Media Group and launched a new model for my work that included reparative economics, where I donate 25% of net proceeds from my newsletter to groups who serve populations harmed by white evangelicalism. The original ambition was to get 1,000 paid subscribers so that this could be my sole work. I've yet to have more than 70 at a time, but I remain hopeful that my work will remain both relevant and helpful. It's now 2023, and at some point this year, the show will cross a million downloads. That is something I am immensely proud of. Exvangelical as a phenomenon, as an audience, as a perspective, is still very new. Because of the hashtag's popularity and the nature of algorithmic feeds focusing on what you've engaged with, it's easy to get overexposed to the content, which can in turn become exhausting. From the creator perspective, there's a feedback loop that encourages you to make one particular type of content to maintain engagement. And whenever your heart isn't in it, that leads to burnout and loss of interest, which is both common and understandable, and certainly not limited to just exangelical or deconstruction creators. I never saw exvangelical as a wholesale replacement for evangelicalism and saw it more as a means of processing past experience for oneself and signaling to others that, should they be speaking out publicly, their commentary comes from a place of first-hand knowledge. In pluralistic or secular spaces, white evangelicalism benefits from the naivete and ignorance of others who don't know what it's like to be part of a group with such inherent dissonances. Exvangelical challenges that. As I've said for years, a term like exvangelical has both values and limits, and it is good to be cognizant of them. Ex evangelical projects do have peculiar challenges, to be sure. In one sense, exvangelical is best understood as a robust counterpublic that challenges the still dominant white evangelical narrative in the broader American society. For all the evangelical bluster about deconstruction and ex-evangelical becoming popular online, there are no ex-evangelical voices with routine access to The Atlantic and The New Yorker and The New York Times, and there is no ex-evangelical coalition to underwrite and support creators. When you look at the Apple podcast's Religion and Spirituality Top 200, it is still largely dominated by white evangelical voices. On the community aspect of things, ex-evangelical spaces are made up of people who have left white or white-led evangelicalism, and some spaces can be homogenous, even if there is a commitment to anti-racist values and practices. Learning and unlearning the history of racism and white supremacy within white Christianity is a lifelong undertaking, and BIPOC ex-evangelicals have their own needs and desires. Further, for people leaving a high-control religion, there is a strong resistance to falling behind a single leader, and I think this is an asset. It is also hard to know what is a community versus what an internet researcher like Dana Boyd would call a networked public. Are Instagram comments under a particular creator's content a community? Is the chaos of Twitter a community? Or does a community require clear rules of engagement and boundaries? How do digital communities differ from IRL ones like those we left? And if these are liminal communities intended to foster people to stay for a time before moving on, how does one leave well? Digital ghosting has echoes of the holy ghosting so many people experienced when they left their churches. These are open questions that I've yet to fully answer and the answers may change with time. There are the private and personal needs of people seeking solace or belonging or language to give their experience, and there is a need to speak, a, speak out about and discuss these matters in the public sphere, especially in a society where white evangelical power is so deeply established. Each need requires its own response. I am grateful for whatever part, big or small, I have had in these developments. I have no illusions of originality. This work was being done before me and will be done without me. To quote Caitlin's call, I come from a long line of believers. I am so thankful for all the people I have met through this. I have limited my comments here to my own experience because I don't wish to speak for others. But I am deeply thankful for current and former moderators of the Exvangelical Facebook group, for my supporters on Substack and Patreon, for my family and friends, and for anyone who has come on the show to share a part of their story. Challenging something like white evangelicalism is a big task. It requires a lot of work and attention, and so many people have contributed. I'm not concerned with preserving the reputation of other forms of evangelicalism, or even of Christianity. These groups are and will be judged by the fruits of their labors. But despite all the changes I've undergone, Despite my disinterest in preserving a Christian society, that old religious impulse to desire a Christ-like society, in the most aspirational sense of that word, is still kicking around in my soul. White evangelicalism doesn't want to be reformed, so yes, it is being deconstructed. What's built next is yet to be determined. Thank you for listening. I'll be back with another interview episode this Thursday. If you want to support my work, you can do so at just $5 a month or $50 a year at PostEvangelicalPost.com. Exvangelical is a production of Post Evangelical Post, LLC.